Church, we're going to continue in our worship this morning by diving into the scriptures. Uh, I just want to say welcome if it's your first time this morning. We're so glad you're here. And on the, on the video, I mentioned uh, filling out a welcome card if you could. We just want to know uh, how you heard about us, and we also want to give you a free gift. And just bless you and just say uh, welcome. Welcome to this family. And our big thing for anybody that's new here is we just say we want you to get comfortable. So hopefully this is a place where you can be comfortable and not feel pressure from any direction to be anybody or um, uh, be any, really be anybody other than yourself. So we're just excited you're here this morning. But we've been, if you're here for the first time, we've been in this series um, called Expansion. And it's a series that's all about reaching people that are different than you and I, right, than, than us, than our personal perspective, what can so, sometimes be our personal world. And we've been looking at the book of Acts in the Bible, which is really uh, the birth of the early church. It's this narrative, it's this story of how did the church of Jesus actually begin? Uh, sometimes we have questions about that. We know that the Bible began in Genesis in the creative narrative, but what about the, 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 the followers of Jesus, the, those who believed and saw that Jesus was resurrected and this movement began about how Jesus uh, was coming to transform uh, the world. So there's this amazing message of what God has done, and it's so funny because God has chosen us as human beings as his imperfect vehicle. That's what we realize. He has sent us, and, uh, I, you know, I've been talking a lot about uh, customer service and how I'm a person that, man, when I go get a fast food order and they screw it up, man, it's just like, come on, like imperfect human being moment. It makes me so mad. Or, you know, think about the person on the, on the highway that cut you off, you know what I mean? Like the, the imperfect human being moments where it's just like that person, you know, even though you're so mad at them, like that person's a candidate to be used by God. Like the people that make us so mad, like the people that irritate us, like even in ourselves because nobody's perfect. Come on, somebody. We have to realize and come to grips with the fact that God chooses us to be the vehicle. You and I, imperfect human beings, and that's the vehicle he's chosen to spread this message of goodness and grace. And in this series, we've been looking at uh, several different characters because here's the deal. There's this exclusive group of people called the Jews and the Israelites who are God's people. But now Jesus was doing a new thing. He was the Messiah to these people. And so we see different characters throughout the book of Acts and in this series so far. We see Stephen, who's the first person to die for his faith because he's begging his Jewish brothers and sisters to identify and, uh, and recognize that Jesus, this is the, the prophesied Messiah. He is the one. And people didn't believe him, and he died because of it. So the, the, this gospel message, it's expanding to the Jews, right, so that they would receive it and believe it and understand what God was doing through Jesus. And then as the book of Acts go on, goes on, we see this character, Philip, who begins to expand the message beyond just Jewish categories, and he shares with this Ethiopian man, this Ethiopian eunuch who's really on the fringes of society, but he goes and he leads and he tells this man about Jesus. So we see the Jews hearing about the, the message of God expanding to the Jews, the message of God expanding to other people. And then last week, we saw that the message of God began to expand even to God's enemies. Come on, somebody. Because we could keep our, our faith in these, like, neat categories of, like, yeah, like, God, God loved the Jewish people, so obviously he wanted them to get on board. Like, yeah, there's other people that are different. Like, he wanted them to get on board. But then we actually see, like, Jesus, when he says, like, love your enemies, it actually starts to kind of practically play out where, like, hey, one of his enemies gets rocked by God on the way to murder Christians, and God's like, boom. Sense my glory, sense my presence, I'm going to transform your life around and you're going to be a vessel for my good message and my good news. And this guy's name was Saul, right? So we're picking up kind of in the middle of this narrative and I titled this morning's message this, Hero Maker. Hero Maker. Because um, Saul, this guy who just experienced God in a pretty powerful way where his life is being transformed from somebody who murdered Christians to somebody who's actually going to advocate for them, he gets linked up with this character 
in the section of scripture we're about to read called Ananias. And Ananias to me, and what I would argue this morning, is a hero in the faith. He is an absolute hero in the faith. And Ananias, if you've been following along with this series at all, uh, there's a different, Ananias actually in the biblical times was like a very common name. But it's interesting because we see a little bit of a parallel going on because there's a character that was introduced early on in the book of Acts with the same name, Ananias. Except this guy, if you remember the story, um, or you can go back and read the story, um, this guy dies because he selfishly begins to hoard money. In a time when the church was being generous, he begins to lie to people, he begins to hoard money, he begins to uh, be really sketchy. Like, the dude is super sketchy, super shady, like, you don't want that type of person, like, being the person who's going to lead the church in its purest form in the right direction. And we read about this guy who, because of that, he doesn't represent God at all, being so selfish and not being generous that he just dies on the spot. So now we have this new character, Ananias, who actually, it's interesting, we have these two same-named people, and now we have what I would argue the other side of the spectrum. We have the worst example, and we have this other guy named Ananias who actually becomes the prime example of what it means to be a person who's a follower of Jesus. As this movement moves forward, what could we model our lives after as what it looks like to be people that are clinging on to God's grace and living through this thing called life, right? So this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. So we're going to read that, and we're going to grasp from this character Ananias and see comparatively how this character was so selfish, Ananias, this first character we were introduced to, and how this new character displays such selflessness. So let's read in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. It'll be up on the screen, or you can follow along with your Bibles if you got them. It says this, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. So Damascus is where this character Saul was going. That's like where he was, he was on his way to murder Christians, on his way to Damascus. God rocks him. So now we understand that there's this disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. This is what God says. It says, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man, Tarsus, named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Who were the Gentiles? Anybody who wasn't a Jew. Anyone who wasn't in the Jewish club. Anyone who wasn't considered a person of God by their biology, right? So this person's being proclaimed to send it to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I just pray that uh, as we open your word, we understand that it's not just ink on a page, but it's, it's living, breathing, active words for our soul. And, and Lord, I just pray that th these words would just, just go so deep today. Lord, that we would be changed by your word, that we would be transformed, that we wouldn't be in religious rhythm right now, but Lord, we would be in authentic relationship with you, understanding that you have something so special you want to deposit in our hearts this morning. So Lord, would we not walk away from this place the same? Would we be transformed by your word like you promise it can? So Lord, we receive everything that you want to give us today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Okay, so why was this guy, Ananias, such a hero? 
Because here's the deal. This is actually the only story of this guy in the Bible. I mentioned there's another Ananias who was kind of a bad boy. Uh, but this guy, the good Ananias, um, this is the only time he's ever mentioned. This is the only time in Scripture we know about him. This is the only occasion. Now, his name gets brought up later on in the book of Acts when Saul is retelling this story about meeting Ananias. But in, in terms of anything else about his life, we don't know anything about him. This is the only instance in the Bible we hear about this character. But this morning, I want to start us off with a little bit of a test, a little bit of like almost a quiz for our own minds to see how well we can do kind of personally and individually right now by answering a set of questions. So here's the questions I want to ask us to kind of help illustrate the type of person I believe Ananias was. All right. So privately in our minds right now, I want you to first name the five wealthiest people in the country. Think about those people right now. Think about the five wealthiest people in the country right now in your mind. Okay, next, name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. Sports fans in the house might be able to do that, right? Name five people who have won a Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Think about those people in your mind. Try to think of five athletes who won gold medals. Think of five Academy Award winners. Now, Here's what I love about these questions. They're all kind of diverse in terms of, like, hobbies or, like, interests or whatever. But here, here's what I know. When I first did this and I looked at these set of questions, I did really bad. I don't know about you. Like, I'm like, yeah, like, I kind of, like, I'm a movie guy, but, like, I, I don't know. Like, Academy Award winners? They're like, didn't Denzel win one? I'm like, I'm not even sure about that. Didn't he get, like, not get one for one of the movies when he should have? Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, my mind just starts going down this road of just, like, all these different things, right? And, like, Olympic gold medalists, I'm like... You know, like, uh, I mean, I know some, like, Olympic heroes. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about the lady who got her b knee bashed in. But, like, you know, it's like your mind just starts going down. Do you know it? Can you? This would, for me, I don't know about you guys, but this, this, this test, this quiz is a little bit difficult, right? But it's so interesting because these are actually people of prominence. These are people that, in our culture, they're pushed to the front and saying, these are people that are heroes, right? These are people that matter. These are people in our lives, in our everyday lives, as we, as we live life, that, like, are the people who win awards and should matter. But when it comes to an emotional impact on our lives personally, how much do they matter? Because we struggle to come up with five different names in all of these categories. So let's, let me ask a different set of questions this morning. And here they are. Name five people who have made a difference in your life. Name five people who have loved you and supported you in your life. Name five people who have helped you in a difficult time. Name five people who have helped you in your spiritual journey. Name the people who helped you commit your life to Christ. I love what Sarah said in the offering time. It just really led us perfectly into this moment here in, in this message because it's so true. Like we, Some of these deposits are, are, are times that we reflect in our own lives that are early on in our lives when we were kids. Or maybe it's more recent. Whatever it is, these questions are so much easier to answer. Amen? Do you agree with me this morning? Four of us, yep, okay, cool. Uh, the principle that I really want us to grasp this morning is this. People who make the biggest difference in our lives are not famous. They're everyday people who care about us and demonstrate their love for us. Those are the difference makers. Those are the heroes in our lives, the ones that we can actually name because it's easy, because it's off the top of our head. It's people who have literally made a really genuine impact in our lives. And this, this morning, church, was Ananias. So we're going to break down quickly uh, some characteristics 
in, in kind of three different little sections of what we read this morning and just kind of pull from that and understand and learn from who Ananias was so that we can be more like Ananias and what I would argue we could be more like a hero in the faith. Amen? Here we go. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. Let's back it up again. It says this, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. What's really significant about this section of scripture is there's a double vision confirmation, which is a good thing. And I would argue in, in spiritual atmospheres is a very, very good thing. Because it means two separate parties have been confirmed of something supernatural going on. Here's when things get weird in spiritual environments, is when one person hears a vision and nobody else has. But a person's really adamant about that. That's what we would sometimes dictate or call spiritual abuse, right? Which can so easily happen in the church. But let me give you a few practical examples. I'll never forget in Bible college where a phrase that I would hear often was, the Lord told me you're going to be my wife. Right? Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, yeah, Callie. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Hands off, everybody. Uh, you know, back on up, bro. Um, anyway, uh, right, like this is, this, this is stuff that people say, like literally, like, well, the Lord told me that, you know what I mean? So, so it must have come to pass because I have this, obviously, this authentic kind of highway to you, Lord, about this specific thing about who I'm going to marry. When the other person, the other party is like, no, get away from me, you're creepy, right? Um, I've heard this before, the Lord told me, you know, I've been, I've been talking to the Lord, I'm praying for you, and the Lord told me you're going to die. People, people, people say stuff like this in church. Can I just be really honest? People use opportunities and leverage them to instill fear in other people. It's really unfortunate. But that's why these things need to be held accountable. The Lord told me that this person's my enemy. You've heard that before, too. People begin to justify why that they're against that person, why that person is wrong. Why that person is in the wrong. Why that person's an enemy. Because they don't, they're not chasing after God, so they're an enemy. And the Lord told me, the Lord has showed me in the scriptures that that person's an enemy. And they begin to cherry pick scriptures about enemies in the Old Testament. Some of us in the room are guilty. I know I'm guilty of that one. We cherry pick scriptures to really build our fear-based agenda. And that's, that's the common denominator in terms of this type of thing in the church that can get so out of, out of control. Is it's very fear-based. It's fear-based for the person that says that you're going to be my wife because there's a fear of not having control and not allowing God to actually be in charge, right? There's a fear that gets instilled in somebody where they want to instill fear in other people by saying things or praying over somebody in the name of, of, of God and, and speaking death over someone. Or somebody, once again, that justifies their fear of other people to claim that us versus them, right? But I love it. Because what we're seeing in this scripture is we're seeing a double confirmation. We're seeing two separate instances where God spoke the same thing. And these people are going to come together and have this revelation of understanding. We're two separate parties, but God is speaking and doing the same thing. And in the middle of this, we learn a couple things about Ananias, right? We learn that he was a disciple. And we learn also that when the Lord called to him, he could hear the voice of God. He could hear the voice of God clearly. So out of this first little section, here's, here's what I kind of want to break down this morning in, in three different ways is, is this question. Who was Ananias? Well, from this little section of scripture, we understand Ananias, he was a believer and he knew how to listen to the voice of Jesus. So Ananias being the hero that he is, 
How can we be heroes? What can we learn from Ananias? And I would say by doing this, by listening to the voice of love. By listening to the voice of love. Ananias had a deep relationship with God where he was zoning and tuning his ears and his heart constantly into the voice of Jesus. He heard God when he called. He heard Jesus literally when he was speaking to him. And I say the voice of love because how many of you guys know that Jesus did something in his love that is unlike any other love before? The scripture in the Hebrew or in the Greek Specifically, that word is agape. There's all these other different loves, phileo, right, brotherly love. There's, there's different types of love where the, the language is used throughout the scriptures to describe certain types of loves. But there's one that's reserved to Jesus, agape, a Jesus-like love. Because how many of you guys know that, like, no one else in human history decided to, like, sacrificially die on behalf of humanity, die on behalf of the people that actually murdered him. And what we would say, and what the Bible illustrates, is this is a specific type of love. There's a Jesus-like love that becomes the really the leading factor in the equation of what it means to live out our faith. Agape love. And I love it because Saul, this man who is a murderer, ends up becoming Paul, who writes letters to churches that are having issues, having problems. One of those churches was this church in Corinth. And when I'm talking about, like, spirituality, not being held accountable, and anything goes, this was the church in Corinth. They lived in anything goes kind of type of spirituality, and Paul had to write them to address a few things and say, hey, this isn't helpful. This is actually out of control. Actually, you guys are being very selfish in terms of how you want to experience God, but it's being very selfish because it's leaving everybody else on the outside. So we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as he's writing this letter to this church that needs to be addressed because, quite frankly, it's out of control in terms of spiritual terms. And we get to 1 Corinthians 13. And here's, here's what I want to say about 1 Corinthians 13. We have reduced this to just be the wedding verse. Can I say that? We, we glaze over this bad boy because we're like, well, this is the thing that we speak. This is the scripture that we talk about, about love at, at, at weddings. But can we just look maybe at it from a different lens this morning through the context of the type of love that Ananias heard when he heard the voice of Jesus as he had relationship with this, this, this fully man, fully God who resurrected from the dead and now was leading this movement. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3. Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have agape love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, Jesus-like love, I gain nothing. Can we just like maybe just categorize a few things here that Paul addresses in terms of why love is the argument of what the forefront of our faith should be? He addresses quite a lot of different things. First, he addresses being somebody who uses human words. You could be the best motivational speaker. You could get up. You could speak at school assemblies. You could move people in their emotions. But you miss the point if it's not motivated by an agape love, a Jesus-like love. On your own initiative, you could do those things. You could use your own voice. But if you do not, if you're not influenced by this Jesus-like love, what's the point? Paul's saying. You can speak in spiritual language. This church in Corinth, I'll tell you what. 
These people were tongue-talking, crazy, just out of the blue, any time that they wanted to, and they just wanted to show off how spiritual they were. But what Paul's saying, you could be that person, you could be that guy, but guess what? If love's not in the forefront, it doesn't matter. You're actually not spiritual at all, because the most spiritual thing you can be is look like Jesus, and he led with love. Come on, somebody. You could be the most prophetic person. I, I get this all the time. Well, pastor, I'm a prophet. I see things that other people don't see. Now, prophecy is a gift, meaning that you're not a prophet. Everyone's a prophet because that's a gift for everyone. So let's just make that clear. So you're not better than anybody. Second off, if you're a prophetic, you could get insights into as many things as possible into somebody else's life. You could be a miracle worker. You could be the greatest prophet of all. But guess what? If you don't lead with love, the Jesus-like love, you're missing the point. You know what's been interesting lately? I've been getting into all these shows about cults. Anybody who watches some of these shows, shows lately? You know what's so interesting about cults, our modern-day cults, is it always starts out kind of looking normal. Like, here's a church, here's a pastor, he's charismatic, he's a good guy. Man, God's beginning to heal people, we're seeing miracles, people are getting pumped up. And then the leader turns into some sort of a prophet, pushes away any sort of accountability, and is led by this prophecy to a place where it becomes unaccountable to anything, and people end up losing their lives or doing insane things they wouldn't normally do. When that doesn't get held accountable in the church, when the community doesn't become a community where things are held accountable and we make sure things are measured against, led by love, things can get extremely out of whack. In the name of spirituality, you can abuse so many different people. And unfortunately, people sitting in this room have been the brunt of some of that abuse. I love this one. It says, you faith to move mountains. A lot of people talk about their faith. Like, hey, man, my faith. Got my faith, my faith, my faith. But they're really angry people. Can I say that? Some people have great faith, but you know what? They're missing the point because they're not led by love. You could have faith to move mountains. That's impressive on a spiritual scale, right? But what is Paul saying? But the number one most spiritual thing you could possibly do is love sacrificially like Jesus did. How about this one? Serving the poor. Giving all I possess to the poor. Some people erase that one from their Bible and understanding, well, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Give it to the orphans. Give it to the poor. Being somebody that has a social justice drive, I'm not saying those things are bad. We're supposed to be doing those things. But when those things are not informed by Jesus-like love, we're missing it all together. When love is not supreme, we are missing it. You look nothing like Jesus if that's not in the equation. And that's the number one thing. And lastly, he says, doing hard work for the sake of others. I want to give the shirt off my back and serve people. That's great. But if you're an angry person who's just grumpy and nobody wants to be around you, you've missed it. And you look nothing like Jesus. Serve all you want. But nobody wants to serve alongside the grump that's not involved with Jesus' love. Paul is begging with these people to begin to reiterate and reorient their ideas of spirituality. It's not going to be led by prophetic words. It's not going to be led by tongues. It's not going to be led by serving people. It's not going to be led by this, this, this. If there's one thing that you need to keep supreme, it's being connected with the life source of the agape, Jesus-like love. That's a Jesus love that sacrifices. That's a love that looks a lot different than the love you and I sometimes express on a human level to one another in our own human capacity. But God allows us to connect with the life source of Jesus to have a new role in understanding that Jesus-like love is a capacity we can actually have when we have relationship with him. Let's keep going. Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. 
So we can be connected. We can be a hero like connecting and understanding and, and listening to the voice of love. But let's, let's keep going and understand some other things about Ananias here. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard. He's like, Lord, wait, Lord. I've heard about this guy. I get it. But let me just let me explain my case here. On a human level, things aren't making sense. Let me just kind of break this down for you, Lord, because you're, you're telling me something about a guy who I know, like, 20 minutes earlier wanted to murder, right? He says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. He's like pleading with the Lord, but the Lord's like, no, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Human questioning. I love this. You know it's okay to question God sometimes. There's a lie that's kind of gotten brought up into the church or church history of just like, you're not ever able to actually like wrestle with God or question God. I would just argue like open the book of Psalms and just see a bunch of wrestling and questioning and, and really just like grief about some things that God does. Because on a human level, you know what? It's okay. Let's be free to understand sometimes we don't understand God's motives and intentions. We can rest in the fact that he is good. But here's the deal. We see throughout the scripture. We see David as the main psalmist who writes the Psalms constantly. Man, questioning God, asking God the question why. That is okay. That is okay as long as you don't stay there. And you're informed by divine clarity. And here's what I love about God. Question him. Seek him. Come to know him. And you know what he's going to do for you? He's going to bring clarity to a situation that at first doesn't make sense. That's how good he is. That's the type of God that he is. Amen? Seek God and find him. Investigate him. He's not complicated. But our excuses sometimes make things complicated, right? He's simple and profound. He is the image of the invisible God. I love that. How do we know what God is like? That's why Jesus came. He's like, here I am. This is what I'm like. I die on a cross for your sins. I die on a cross for people that murdered me. The very people that were putting me up there, yeah, I died for them too. It's radical. It's a grace that doesn't on a human level make any sense. But that's what informs this agape love, this Jesus-like love. So as we read this section, who was Ananias? He was a guy that, yeah, he questioned God, but here's what we learn and we understand from him. He was prepared to obey, even though it seemed ridiculously dangerous. We don't see grief. We don't see arguments. We see God kind of is like, okay, listen, hear my heart, understand, see me, know me, let that inform you, and he stops complaining. We see that he, he moves on. But he has questions on the front end. But here, I love the attitude. He's willing to. He's willing to go there. He's willing to trust God. He's willing to trust God into areas and relationships and people that he normally wouldn't because he's a little uncomfortable because they're not like him inside of his spiritual box. So how can we be heroes this morning? Here's how I believe we can be heroes. By being willing to take risks with people. Because God cares and he loves for everybody. Are we willing to take risks with people? Some of us are an automatic no. To certain people. Unfortunately, we live in a world that informs us there should be div division. There should be automatic no's. 
there should be people that we kind of write off. But how many of you guys know that's actually not God's heart? So I want to share something. I want to share a picture of a, of a news article that I saw this week. And some of you might have saw this. In Texas, they decided to put up a billboard that said this. Liberals, please continue on I-40 until you have left our great state of Texas. And here's what I have an issue with with this. Some of us chuckle and think I can relate to that. But I'm here to tell you this morning, that's idolatry. That's placing something other than God's heart as your God. And saying, you know what, there's a certain type of people I'm not comfortable with that I've categorized in a box and said, I'm writing you off. And this is deep within our culture right now, where we're just writing off people because of a difference in viewpoint. But you know, Jesus broke that barrier so those things would be reconciled and redeemed. And when the church buys into it, we are no help. We will be a church that is the solution to this problem right now. And if you get in the way of this problem, guess what? This might not be the community for you because we're here to reconcile. We're here to take people on one side or the other and bring them together. We're here to be a church where Hillary voters are welcome. Come on, somebody. And if you become a person that makes a person feel unsafe, we have missed it all together. This is idolatry because it's not God's heart. And when we buy into that lie, we are buying into a love that isn't representative of Jesus. This morning, we can relate to this. Because I'm like, well, that's Texas. And how many of you guys know that this, this mindset bleeds the state lines? Come on, somebody. And it begins to inform us and becomes to be a God that actually influences how we act, how we respond to things on social media, what we're sharing on social media. Cutting relationship off that we could have with people that God loves so much. This is not God's heart. Let's look at Romans 10. Paul's words. See what he thinks about this. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. In order to bring the good news to anybody, you got to have your automatic nose figured out. Because there are no automatic nose in God's kingdom, right? We live in a day and age where God is after anyone and everyone. And the politics of the kingdom lead our lives. And there's no division in his kingdom. There's no division in his heart because he died for everyone. He died for you and I. And he died to inform us with a love that is contrary to where we want to lean and join in sometimes. But it's so relevant. People say the Bible's not relevant. And you look 2,000 years later and humans are doing the same things over and over again. But if we're going to be people that proclaim Christ and say we've been transformed by Christ, come on, we've got to be people that are open to make progress and actually be informed by a radical love that changes the way we think about others that sometimes we isolate. Let's keep going. Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 19. We're going to finish up here. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. So he went. There it is, right? He goes. No more arguing with God. Like, okay, I'm uncomfortable. This person's a murderer. Like, come on. Like, like, let's think about this for a second. This guy was wanted to take his life because of his belief set. And he was convinced enough by God's radical grace and love to move forward and believe God's word about what he said. Do you believe God's grace is big enough for the people that you've gotten rid of? Do you believe that? 
placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Brother Saul. A term that, you know, you could try to study it and come up with reasons of what it's not what it's saying, but it is. It's a term of endearment that represents an intimacy in relationship with another person. We're talking about a someone in the scripture who was filled with fear, uncomfortable with the person, now has been transformed, had an experience with God, and rather than just saying he's a Christ follower, rather than just carrying around the title, you know what he actually does? He puts his faith where his feet is. He goes and he extends an invitation to a man who supposedly wanted to kill him not too long ago. He refers to him as his brother. Brother. We're on the same team. Brother, I believe in you. I'm going to carry you when you're falling down. I'm going to represent for you an intimacy that exists within a family. He uses this term, and this term rocks this point of the narrative because we understand that actually... It wasn't just in Ananias' mind of him contemplating with God, but he actually believed what God said. He actually was following through with what God said. He becomes part of the family. Ananias uses this phrase as a welcome and an affirmation. This prejudice change happens because of God's heart. And we see Saul finally beginning to gain sight. We see this breakthrough. We see being filled with the Holy Spirit. As we've seen throughout the book of Acts, as people have prayed for people to be filled, to be sent. The purpose of being filled was to be sent to go, to reach others, right? He gets baptized. I want to say we're, we're, we're hosting baptisms in a few weeks. So if you're a person that's been kind of on the fence about baptism, please sign up at the Connect table before you get out of here. Go to our website. There's a little form that you can sign up, and we'll get into contact with you and answer any questions that you have. But I love it because we see that this is the first step for Saul. Like, he finally can see again. He's like, dude, the first decision I want to make is I want to get baptized representing how my life has been transformed by this God who rocked me and changed me from a murderer and changed me into a person who is about God's mission, right? So we're going to affirm that in a few weeks. And if you're on the fence or you have questions about that, please, please contact us. Swing by the Connect table if you have any questions. But I love it because we see Ananias' role in this situation. We see a few things that he does. He, he confirms the vision, right? He reverses the blindness. He prays. He actually is willing to lay hands and pray. God answers prayers, but how many of you guys know God also answers prayers that we pray, that we participate in? He prays for him, physically is there and lays hands on him. And allows the blindness to be worked through God, through him as a vehicle and a vessel. So that this man could experience God's grace and his love for him after he was blinded. And then he offers baptism. He offers him a next step. It's interesting because we don't see him trying to be God. I love the role that Ananias takes. He says, I'm a, I'm a representative of God. I'm not trying to be God. I'm not trying to give you any, thus says the Lord, divine revelation. That's reserved for God. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to wrap my arms around you. 
I'm going to lead with the agape, Jesus-like love. I'm going to push you in the right direction. You know what? Next step is baptism. I'm going to be a person that says, hey, you have anything going on in your life? I'm going to lay hands. I'm going to pray for you because I care about you, and I believe God wants to break in. Ananias never tries to reverse and take the role that is reserved for God, but he comes alongside God in his mission of love, and he decides to be a friend. He decides to be someone of intimacy, relational intimacy, and getting down deep and saying, you know what? These are some things I want to push your life in the right direction, because I understand that your spirituality is fresh in this new direction, but I want to be a person that encourages you in the very and right direction. And then we see at the end of the scripture, we see they end up having, he finally gets to eat, right? Saul's been fasting, right? Because he just got wrecked by God, and he's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then we see food. And food representative in the scripture always represents fellowship. Represents that these two ate a meal together. That they enjoyed each other's company. That, that once again, not just talking about family, actually being family became a thing. So lastly, here's what I want us to leave us on this morning is, who was Ananias? Well, he, he went where he was sent did what he was told, and did it all with love, grace, and wisdom. He was just willing, you guys. Willing to say, God, use me. God, use me in a big way. And it might seem like on a small scale. It might not be very glamorous, but God, I, I want to be used by you. And how can we be heroes? Here's what I want to argue this morning, by being hero makers. How can we be heroes? By being hero makers. Ananias was a hero maker. He was obedient so Saul could be exactly who God had called him to be. I often wonder, what if Ananias was ripped out of the story of the Bible? What would have happened? What would the trajectory of the church look like? Saul wouldn't have became who Saul was supposed to be. We wouldn't have had two-thirds of the, or one-third, or two-thirds, yeah, of the, of the New Testament written, penned by Saul, used by God to write what we have as our modern-day Bible, Ananias never mentioned again. But here's what's so interesting about it, right? For some of us, we, we walk into the church and we're like, we want to be heroes. I want to be a hero. I want to be a Moses. I want to be that upfront guy. I want the glory. I want this. I want to be a Paul. But we miss the whole idea that we're actually called to be an Ananias. We're actually called to be a person that lives out the agape love the sacrificial love, the one that says, I'm laying down my life so that you can be the hero. I'm using all the strength that I have in my life, in my relationship with Jesus to understand the most spiritual I get is when I lay my lives down so you can be the superhero, so you can be the one that thrives, so that your life is the one that's highlighted. Ananias laid his own life down so that Saul could be a hero. But I love it because it doesn't just end there. How many of you guys know Saul became a hero maker? We're not there in the narrative yet, but what do we see? Saul becomes the greatest church planner of all time, empowering other people to be heroes, to lead churches, to not make it about him. I love when he writes the letter to Timothy. It's not just called Timothy to be called Timothy. If you're not familiar with the letter, he's literally writing a letter to a younger pastor, believing in him, being a hero maker, giving up of his time, giving of his wisdom and saying, I believe in you, Timothy. Don't be discouraged. Yes, you're young, but be an example by what you do. 1 Timothy 4.12. He's laying down his life so that others can be a hero. We've looked at the, the scriptures up to this point so far. Stephen was a hero maker. He died for his faith, but he prayed right where Saul was at. 
as he was being murdered by Saul and the people that Saul got all emotional and hot to kill him, he prays for Saul. He says, forgive him. Reveal him. They don't know what they do. He acts like Jesus sacrificially, prays as he's being killed and stoned to death. And that prayer, once again, is heard by God through the vessel of this man. And we see Saul, the seeds being planted for Saul to meet Ananias. Come on. Stephen was a hero maker. He laid his life down. We're seeing all these different characters in the book of Acts. Philip was a hero maker. He got out of his comfort zone and shared the gospel, the good news of what Jesus had done to a guy who had a different skin color, a complexion than him, a different culture. He got out of his comfort zone and said, you know what? My life's not my own. But I've been called by God to be obedient by God, to be a vessel for God's love and reconciliation. And he did it. There were hero makers. We see the early church being filled with a group of people that decided and made a commitment to be hero makers. And ultimately, Jesus was the greatest hero maker. He was the greatest of all. Laid down his own life so that we could have a new life. I love what he says to the, to the disciples. He says, you're going to end up going and doing greater things than I ever did. Setting the stage, saying, this isn't about me. You're going to carry on a ministry that goes beyond this 12. Well, obviously, like, God's not big. If, if God could only lead a ministry of 12 while he was on earth, no, 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 no. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a posture of God who's saying, I'm going to invest in 12, and those 12 are going to end up being heroes. And those heroes are going to invest in others because they're hero makers. Church this morning, come on, we have gotten so, we've craved too much of saying that we want to be heroes ourselves, that we've missed the point that in our hero capacity that God's given us, we are called to be hero makers. We're called to lay our lives down and invest in other people. We're called to say, hey, I don't, my life, great. But agape love says that my life's laid down so that someone else's life can shine. Yeah, I have my own rights, but at the same time, I have rights to say that my life is not my own. And I'm making and I'm paving the way for other people to thrive, even if it's not my own preference, my own comfortability, my own life. I want to reiterate a quote that we began with, the principle. People who make the biggest difference in our lives are not famous. They are everyday people who care about us and demonstrate their love for us. That's so easy. It's so easy. But many times we can get distracted and prioritize other things. It's so easy to be a person to say, you know what, God? I'm going to take you seriously for who you are. I'm going to take that love that you led with seriously and, and be informed by that. By reading your word. I'm going to be a person, you know what? I'm going I'm to care about what's going on in people's lives. And I'm going to pray at every instance that I can do it. I'm going to be a person that believes and empowers other people. That they are going to stand on my shoulders of life and be carried on to do something good going to push generations further, farther and farther and farther to be greater and greater because we're understanding and we're realizing our life is not our own. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, and we're going to end with this. When God calls someone, he bids them come and die. So it was with Saul. So it was with Ananias. So it was with us.